Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. Welcome to our first sit of the year. I am excited about the topic for tonight, even though the topic is quite quite straightforward. But I always get excited about Dharma topics that kind of sit on the crossroads of psychology, self-help, and Dharma. I love that interconnection. And I love doing journaling, and I love reflection questions. And so these kind of things I get excited about. So I'm going to talk a little bit about routine with the Dharma and how to establish a couple mindfulness routines as we start the year that can be hugely helpful to support your practice during the day. And this is going to refer to morning routine, like right when you wake up and how to practice, and evening routine on how we might practice to support mindfulness during the day. And I just enjoy this topic for some reason. As I've always mentioned before, I'm such a a fiend for self-help books, and I believe the billion-dollar industry is probably supported by most of my salary. So any kind of book that has a certain amount of steps to understanding something, I can't, I need to know what the steps are. So if there's seven steps to, I don't know, building a table, I need to know what the steps are, and so I'm going to buy the book. And then if there's another discovery on 12 Steps to Happiness, I need to know if they're the same steps that I read in the previous book, so I'm going to buy it just to compare. So (laughs) this is just how my mind operates. In fact, (laughs) I just bought two more books like last week. Like I don't even remember what they are, but I bought them because they came across my Amazon feed. Uh, So I'm going to give you some steps for mindfulness habits in the morning and evening. And I think what I'm going to do... I kind of wrote out this Dharma talk with some context and then I wrote the specifics. I think I'm actually going to do it in reverse. I think I'm going to give you the specifics and then if we have time for the context, I'll toss that in too. Uh, But I actually want to just get to the heart of uh, the matter so I can give you the details and make sure we have time to get get through the the meat of the, the talk today. I'll say a couple things just about reframing mindfulness as a skillful habit. It's something that we already know pretty much, but I think it's easy to forget. It's easy to get off track with understanding how important it is to have consistent practice and how we get consistent practice to arise in our life spontaneously over time. So we don't have to put as much effort into our practice to get the same results. And so I had this, um, I had this thing, this meme, I guess, that came across my Instagram feed the other day. And while I was working on the Dharma talk, and I'm going to read it to you, it looks cooler than it sounds, but I'm going to read it to you because it really hit on what I was going to talk about today as far as making mindfulness a habit. This is from Brendan Burchard, the famous life coach, and he had this great meme that came by and it said this about habits. First, it is an intention, then a behavior, then a habit, then a practice, then a second nature, then it is simply who you are. 
First, it is an intention, then a behavior, then a habit, then a practice, then a second nature, then it is simply who you are. I liked that. And I'm going to reframe this in light of the Dharma, because this is very similar to how the Buddha lays out the Eightfold Path and the habituation of mindfulness and mindful practices in our life. From a Dharma point of view, our skillful habits, the heart-mind qualities that lead to awakening, begin with a view, right? A skillful view. And this skillful view that we choose to adopt is there is a cause and cure of suffering, that there is a cause of suffering and there's an antidote to suffering. And this antidote to our suffering lies within our own hearts and minds. And through skillful actions that we can cultivate, we can actually walk a path to freedom. And that is the view that every meditator adopts either implicitly or explicitly when we practice. We practice with this sense that there is a way out of suffering. Otherwise, we wouldn't even adopt the practice to begin with. So our path begins with a view, this view that there is suffering and we can get out of suffering. And we can get out of suffering through our own actions. We can do something to be free. And when we adopt this view, we then declare an aspiration to be free. We have this aspiration that we can be free from suffering and that there's this highest aspiration that we can show up in the world in a way to help other beings be free. Or at least a lower aspiration is that we can show up in the world doing less harm. So we begin with a view and this view builds into an aspiration, this aspiration for freedom for all beings. And with this aspiration, we then initiate intentional practices in daily life to bring this aspiration into living being, right? With each breath, we have this aspiration to be free. So then it leads to intentional actions in day-to-day -day life that are in aligned or in alignment with this aspiration. And these intentional actions of sitting regularly and wise speech and wise effort, these cultivation practices of loving kindness, things like walking meditation, these intentional actions over time become habits. They become things that we do regularly, we take refuge in, and over time, these habits become very strong heart-mind qualities. And these heart-mind qualities are the soil of liberation. So if I were to reframe what life coach Brendan Burchard said, I would say this. First, it's a view, then an aspiration, then an intention, then a practice, then a habit, then a heart-mind quality. Then it is simply who you are, a liberated being. The reason I bring that up is because whenever we practice the Dharma, we have to remember that we are going against the stream of our natural tendency to move through our life on autopilot, to move through our life with reactivity, with, um, <laughs> with a clinging and craving to sensual pleasures. When we live our life, our less than highest aspiration is to just go on autopilot. And when we learn to practice mindfulness, we're actually cultivating habits which go against that grain, which is why the Buddha always talks about the Dharma in terms of going against the stream. 
because we're cultivating new ways of being, intentional habits that we have to fuel the fire of in order for them to take hold in our lives. And anyone who starts to meditate can see three seconds in that simply intending to be awake and aware of breathing lasts for about five seconds. And then we have to reiterate our intention to bring the mind back to the breath. That this has to be an intention and an aspiration and a habit before it can really become who we actually are. We start off practicing mindfulness and over time we become mindful. We start off practicing loving kindness and over time we simply become more loving, more kind, more gentle, and more connected to ourselves and to others. So there's this maturity in our practice and this maturity of practice always bears fruit on the backs of new skillful habits that we have to bring into our lives with intention and inspiration and aspiration in order for them to take hold. So that's why I bring up that quote that I share with you because there is quite a bit of work to do as meditators and if we do the work eventually Mindfulness just becomes what we are. We become mindful beings that walk in the world with an intention to be free and with an intention to do less harm to ourselves and to others. Starting off in practice, maintaining practice is one of the first things that we tend to struggle with. So when we begin our intention to be meditators, initiating a practice, maintaining consistency, and doing practice regularly is a struggle for every single meditator that's probably ever lived, right? It's hard to maintain a regular practice because our old habits tend to pull us back or sort of grab onto our ankles and they don't let us move forward. They want to lead the show. The wandering mind wants to pull us away. It wants to drag us into the past, take a little tour of the future, plan, worry, get concerned about something, get overwhelmed by something else. The ability to maintain a meditation practice is very challenging. One of the ways we can increase our ability to maintain mindfulness is to establish little mindful rituals throughout our day that remind the mind and encourage the heart to be present. And so on top of the commitment to say your formal sitting, which I'll call like formal sitting, which is okay, we're going to sit on the cushion and Whatever my amount of, say I sit 15 minutes every day, that would be a wonderful practice. That would be my basic practice. But then when I leave the cushion, in order to maintain that habit of mindfulness, I have to find a way of picking particular routines or rituals or creating the rituals and making sure that mindfulness exists in my actual daily living, off the cushion in real life situations. So we're going to talk a little bit about the power of intentionally creating a ritual or a routine for ourselves around mindfulness. What I thought I'd do is I just want to share with you, as I said earlier, a little bit of the science around the benefit of creating routines for ourselves. It's a, there's a huge science behind this, and I've always been really fascinated by it. And I first started getting really interested in it when I was working as a child and family therapist. And the reason it crossed my path is that oftentimes, like as a therapist, a family would come in to my office, right? And we'd be working on family system stuff. 
And one of the things we would always do is talk about the power and benefit of creating routines in our families, especially when we have kids, right? A morning routine, an evening routine, an after school routine. Because science tells us that the human heart and the human mind really like structure. And when we can have structured routines in our life, it increases our energy, decreases anxiety, increases well-being, and deepens human connectivity for those taking part in the ritual or the routine. And it's so interesting to me that by intentionally creating habits, we can increase happiness in our lives. And when you look at the Dharma, so much of the Dharma is about abandoning old habits or routines and cultivating new habits and routines. And I just find it fascinating that the Buddha would have hit on that 3,000 plus years ago in coming up with a spiritual path that is centered around creating new mindful habits or new mindful routines in our life. So I just wanted to share with you some of this research on the power of creating routines in our lives and what it does for the heart and mind. I find this stuff really interesting. I'll throw this one stat out to you. This is for families with kids. There's a bunch of research on the power of consistent evening routines for families with kids, particularly bedtime routines for kids. Kids who have consistent bedtime routines that are embedded in the family life, so the parents participate in the evening routine, have quicker and more effective social development. They do better in school. They have improved sleep habits. And overall, the family system itself gains a significant amount of resilience. So there's a crisis in the family, like say one of the parents loses a job or someone gets sick. Having a series of routines creates resilience so that families are stronger when they're faced with crisis. I find that to be really interesting. Now for adults, doesn't matter if you're a kiddo, <clears throat> adults also benefit from having intentional routines, particularly morning and evening, but intentional routines in general. And here's some of the benefits, and I'll relate this to the Dharma as I go. Oftentimes, particularly I think in North American culture, we associate freedom with an absence of structure, with an absence of routine, or an absence of being obligated or indebted to a particular thing. What we call freedom is oftentimes freedom from obligation, right? Which can mean freedom from establishing a routine. So I think in the West, particularly in North American culture, we tend to associate routines with being something restrictive, something that takes away from our enjoyment of life rather than something that opens up awareness and benefits us in a positive way. And here are a few ways that creating intentional structure in our lives can lead to an open heart and a calmer mind. So one thing that creating routines does is it deactivates our fight or flight mechanism. And you've all heard of this in some form or another. Human beings moment to moment face the unknown. This is just what it is to be a human being. Moment to moment, we don't know what's going to happen. So there's this slight anxiety that human beings feel moment to moment with not knowing what comes next. So when we establish routines in our life, whether it's a routine that we do in the morning when we wake up or a routine to calm down in the evening as we move to bedtime, or maybe it's a lunch routine or a routine we have like a date night with a spouse, 
When we establish sacred rituals or routines for ourselves, it calms the mind and reduces anxiety. And when we have these day to day, over a long period of time of engaging in mindful habits or mindful routines, anxiety levels can decrease significantly. So having some kind of sacred ritual like mindfulness or a daily meditation practice can really ease anxiety, which I love since I'm always telling people that they need to practice regularly. So this fits right in with the Dharma. Another thing that intentional routines do for us is it gives the heart and mind the ability to become familiar with something. When we have, say, a regular meditation practice and the mind and heart know Every day when I wake up at 7 o'clock, from 7 to 7.30, I'm on the cushion. There's something that happens psychologically when we know we're about to do something regularly that increases endorphins and decreases depression. The mind and heart have this sense of, oh, I'm doing that thing again. And it takes comfort and refuge in the pattern, in the habit. So... Creating routines for yourself that are habitual, whatever they may be. Now, in this case, I'm, of course, talking about Dharma routines, but whatever the habits may be, actually can increase a positive mood because the heart and mind begin to look forward to and anticipate the pattern that you've created. And it gives a kind of rest and refuge for the mind. So people who have intentional habits that they create in their lives experience less depression which again, to me, sounds remarkable. A couple other things I just wanted to throw out. Intentionally creating a routine for yourself. So let's say my intention is I'm going to do yoga Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I'm going to do it every, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm going to do a yoga routine, and that's my commitment. I start doing the commitment, and over a period of time, it becomes a habit, and I continue to do it. One of the things they find with this kind of habit is that when you set out a goal for yourself and you follow through with that goal regularly, it encourages self-confidence and increases self-esteem. And it doesn't matter if you walk in the world feeling like you have low self-esteem or you lack courage in some way. It doesn't matter what the experience is. Intending to do something like creating a ritual in your life and following through regularly increases positive self-concept. And part of the reason it does this is it tells the mind that we're trustworthy, that we can be in integrity with our intentions. So let's say you intend to gossip less <laughs> this year, right? Let's say you're going to focus on skillful speech for 2022 and you make a commitment that you're going to gossip less. And you find in the first few weeks of January 2022, you are in fact gossiping less. This intention, this ritualized behavior that you've intended to do and followed through with will increase your self-esteem, which leads to a happier sense of self. Keeping precepts is something that students often say increase their sense of well-being, not necessarily because they're decreasing intoxicants or intending not to lie or decreasing gossip. It's not as much about the precept, although that is important. The habit and the follow through with saying, I'm going to show up in the world in a particular way, and then actually showing up in the world in that way consistently gives ourselves a sense of inner strength. 
It's a sense of inner confidence because we now know that we're trustworthy, that when we say something, we're going to follow through. So creating habits of meditation practice and following through with the mindfulness routine that you set up with yourself is a great way of increasing positive mood. And I can give you the counterpoint to this so you can see how this might affect you. You know, you know, you, you know what it feels like when, <laughs> let's do it this way in reverse. You know what, it's, what it feels like when you don't follow through with something. You make a commitment and then you bail out right? And you, you you really wanted to do that thing, whatever it may be. It's something for yourself or something for someone else and you bail out on it, right? And that feeling you have of like, oh man, I really wish I would have, I wish I would have just followed through. I messed up. I didn't follow through. That, that disappointment we have, I mean, it might not be self-deprecating, but there is that sense of, oh man, I really wish I would have followed through with that. Keeping our commitments is the opposite, right? It gives us a self of self-confidence and self-esteem and positive self-concept. I'll give you an actual example. So uh, before COVID, I needed to lose some weight. I wasn't feeling so well. And so I was like, okay, it's time to just eat better. I can do this. I know how to create rituals and habits. So for the whole year, right up till COVID hit, I was exercising and doing yoga like five days a week and I was keeping up my meditations and I had changed my diet. I lost a bunch of weight and I was so happy and proud of myself. It was really hard to do, but I created all of these routines and I followed through with them. And so by the time COVID came, I was at a particular weight that I hadn't been in in like 20 years. Like I had lost the weight that I wanted. And I was very excited and I could feel that sense of confidence that I had established the routine I trusted myself to follow through. I got the results. And there was definitely an increase in feeling a general sense of happiness day to day. And then COVID came and I got locked in my house for a year and a half where I sat around eating bad food and not exercising. And I ended up gaining all my weight back and then some COVID weight on top of it. And there was this sense of, oh man, I messed up on my routine. And that sense right? That sense of like, oh gosh, I, that disappointment. Now it's not like traumatic or anything. It's like, I'll do it again and I'll go through the process. But those times when we have a routine, we fall off, there's a sense that there's an inner disappointment. Like we can't trust ourselves to follow through. It's been very hard for me to start up my routine again, because part of me says, am I going to be able to maintain it? There's this slight distrust in my consciousness as I desire to get more exercise, as I desire to eat well, because I fell off the routine. So the reason I mention that is that when we create a mindfulness routine for ourselves, it encourages self-confidence and it helps us to have a gentle sense of self-concept in the world. And when we can rely on ourselves, when we know in our hearts that we are going to get up every day or every other day and sit on the cushion and be mindful, or when we know that we're going to practice loving kindness or try to be kind to others when we meet them in you know real life and we're not on the cushion, and we can follow through with those practices, that builds happiness, builds a sense of grace and ease inside. So just the process of setting up spiritual practice can be hugely beneficial to the heart and mind. It increases our physiological immune response that whole sense of immune system, right? That whole sense of psychological resilience is actually improved 
when we create intentional habits and follow through. So this brain science to me is really fascinating because so much of the Dharma is about creating new habits, creating new processes where we intend to be mindful throughout our day. So how might we do this? This is the more fun part. So how do we do this? I wanted to give you some ways of reflecting on creating a mindfulness routine in your morning. When I first came to the Dharma, my first Buddhist retreat, formal Buddhist retreat, I had already been meditating for seven or eight years before I formally got into Buddhist meditation. My first retreat was with Guinkaji. And he, he, there's a 10-day retreat you do, for those of you who know Goenka's retreats. So the beginning retreats are 10 days. And there was this one moment where he gave a Dharma talk. And it was like, like a 30-minute little reflection that he gave. But it was so powerful. And it literally changed my life to this day. He said, the best times to meditate are right when you wake up and as you're ending your evening. Now, he wasn't talking about formal sitting meditation. He was talking about mindful presence. And it, when he first said that, I thought, oh, yeah, maybe. Okay, sure. You know, maybe I'll <clears throat> fall asleep while being mindful or maybe I'll be mindful when I wake up. I didn't really understand the power of what he was saying. But to this day, following that advice has evolved into a morning and evening routine that really helps me to feel centered and grounded day to day. And I'm going to tell you why this works. It's so amazing. So much of our life is lived according to other people's agendas. What I mean by that is when we wake up, often the first thing we have to do, think about work. Think about getting the kids ready, kids to school. Thinking about our pets, our spouses. Thinking about the meetings we have to have or the chores we have to do. Oftentimes when we get up in the morning, we hurl ourselves into the day without much mindfulness, without much attention, and oftentimes the day pulls us with a really loud alarm into motion before we're ready, before we're even awake, and suddenly we're going through checklists and we have this frenetic energy that we're confronted with when we move from waking, I'm sorry, from sleeping to wakefulness. Oftentimes it's driven by tasks, duties, and obligations. And this is just contemporary life, depending on where you are and, you know, in living. But we all know that experience of being kind of dragged into the morning before we really want to be and not having a sense of ease or well-being when we start our day. From a Dharma perspective, I would invite us to consider the day to be a precious human experience. Today is January 5th, 2022. It's the only January 5th, 2022 we all get to have. And here we are in a mindful ritual where on Wednesdays or many Wednesdays, we all come together in practice. This is our only January 5th. Oftentimes, when we wake up in the morning, we don't approach the day as if it's this precious gift that we have some ownership over. Oftentimes, we give over the power of the day to a lot of reactivity responsiveness, right? Things that we, like I said, we feel obligated to do or duties or stressors or things like that. We don't often wake up and say, wow, this is another day of my life. How am I going to show up for it? Usually we wake up and boom, we are off and running. There isn't a sense of ownership when we step into the world. And with mindfulness, we really want to establish the moment to moment recognition that this is 
my lived experience? And can I be awake and aware for as much of it as possible? So the morning is something I would invite you to take back as a part of your life that can be sacred and can have a sense of ritual. And I'm really only talking about the first five to 15 minutes. That's all it requires. If you can take back the first five to 15 minutes of your day and turn it into a mindfulness experience, the rest of your day, the rest of your week will benefit from it. And I'll explain how we might do this. It's important to remember that the first few minutes of the day is the one part of your day that you actually still have a little control over. Unless you have pets or kids who come in and <laughs> come in and grab you to do something. But generally speaking, we have a few minutes from the time we wake up before we have to get to breakfast, coffee, hygiene. We have a few minutes when we wake up where we still have some autonomy and freedom at the very beginning of the day. And we don't often consider that to be a sacred time. One of the things we can do when we wake up, and I mean right when you're aware that you've woken up, we bring mindfulness to the waking moment, the actual moment that moves from sleep to wakefulness, that we actually get to witness with awareness the coming into being of the very next day of your life and the only day of that that we have. So starting your day with a sense of preciousness, a sense of mindfulness can be an amazing experience if done habitually. So all that means is this, as soon as you realize that you are awake, you invite mindfulness into the space and you just feel what it feels like to be waking up. Feel the grogginess, be in the body, notice your breathing, notice your mood. And I mean, right, that very moment. And over time, what begins to happen, as you intend to be aware of that moment, you'll catch that moment earlier and earlier until you'll literally, as soon as the body and mind wake up, as it's waking up, mindfulness will come online and you'll be able to actually wake up into mindfulness. You'll wake up into a spaciousness of awareness. Being able to do that is really grounding. And the more you do it, the heart and mind begin to crave that sense of comfort upon awakening. Because if you bring awareness to that initial awakened state, what it does is it pushes the wandering mind aside. So instead of your mind immediately going to your duties and to thoughts of your email and social media and work things, the mind begins to realize that it gets like five minutes in the morning just to be at rest and at ease. So it begins to desire it, to crave it, and take refuge in it. Let's see, another part of this I wanted to say was, oh yes, okay, gratitude. So step one, and this is how I do it in the morning. So step one, practice being awake and aware to the awakening moment. Once you have a sense of that, awakening moment and it may just be two three minutes doesn't have to be a long period of time but feel the awakening be with that present experience don't go to checklists don't go to duties go to presence and then when you're feeling that present moment when you have embodied being online when you're awake and aware remind yourself the gift that you woke up 
right? The gift of waking up another day. Because someday we won't wake up. Every day we wake up is a privilege. The Buddha talks about human birth being a precious gift, the preciousness of human birth. And every morning we get this preciousness of awakening where once again, we wake up and have an opportunity to live fully, right? And to feel free in the Dharma. I was reading this statistic. Um, this year I've done a lot of death contemplations and body part meditations, and it's really grounded me in the preciousness of my life and in human existence in a way that I haven't had before. And I was just reading online that 65 million people die a year, which means every moment there's a couple hundred people that are passing away, which means when we go to bed at night, there are 60,000 some people who've also gone to bed, but that was it. They did not wake up. And when we wake up, we can bring a sense of gratitude of like, here I am again. I'm able to live, to love, to connect, to be with my family. And starting off the day, really getting touched with the sense of being grateful for having been able to wake up again and to live life. If you practice that regularly, the gratitude will grow. And that mood that you establish in those first few minutes of waking are actually carried through the day. So there's studies that suggest that, and you know what it's like to wake up on the wrong side of the bed, right? Studies suggest that the mood that's cultivated in the first few minutes of waking up is often the underlying mood that is carried through the day, no matter what else is happening. So here, when we wake up, we have an opportunity to intentionally cultivate a sense of well-being right from the get-go before we get triggered by all of the life things that we have to deal with. So starting off with mindfulness, moving to gratitude, and then this next one is going to be obvious, but I'd like to give you another spin on this. From that sense of gratitude, practice a minute or two of loving kindness. Practice a little bit of loving kindness, first towards yourself, then to your closest friends, family, loved ones, strangers, and then ultimately people that you might be slightly averse to and spread that energy out before you even get out of bed. And here's why this is one of the best opportunities for loving kindness. People always ask, a lot of us have trouble with loving kindness practice, not because we're not loving, just because it's a very difficult practice to do. But here's something to consider, loving kindness before you get out of bed. When you wake up in the morning, you're just there with your heart, with your mind, with your body, maybe partner, maybe pet. But basically, here you are waking up into the next lived experience. And this might sound a little funny, but this is a moment before another human being has had a chance to break your idealism. This is the moment before someone has cut you off in traffic. This is a moment before someone has been rude to you or been not appreciative. This is before people are at you demanding things. This is a moment that is much easier to practice loving kindness because you're in a space where you've just entered your day. Try to practice loving kindness after you have commuted to work for an hour and been stuck in traffic and your boss is at you for something or the kids are at you for something or you haven't figured out something or you, you know, doing loving kindness in the morning 
is so much easier than having to spread loving kindness after people have got on your nerves and pissed you off and triggered your pet peeves. So I always tell people, if you're going to, if you struggle with loving kindness, do it in the morning before you have to interact with other humans. This is the time to practice being kind and loving. And it sounds funny, but it's true that by doing it, when you walk out into the world, you've already oriented your spiritual GPS to making a commitment to that highest aspiration to be kind to yourself and kind to others. And it really helps. Mindfulness, gratitude, loving kindness. Now, again, this may only take six minutes if you do two minutes for each of the steps. This is just your getting up. It's really not a long period of time. But doing this will change your life. It will invigorate your practice if you do it routinely and ritualize it as some sacred space for yourself in the morning. And the last part that I do when I'm not rushing off to, to do something is set your intention for the day. Once you do the loving kindness and the gratitude, then allow a little of the real world to come in and ask yourself a couple questions. These are the questions I ask myself. Is there something coming up today that's going to cause some stress and discontent for me? Is there a person I have to meet, a situation I'm going to be in, or is there something I know that's going to happen that's going to require me to be on point? And I bring that into awareness so I can remind myself when that thing comes up, I'm going to be committed to be patient, kind, loving, generous, whatever the quality might be to help me through that experience. I was, uh, I was up one day this, this week and my wife, Molly was on the, I heard my wife on the phone with a, um, with the insurance company <laughs> and she was being helped by someone. And I thought to myself, had I known that was coming for myself, that's one of those moments where you're like, okay, I have to get on the phone with customer service today. God, is that going to really make me happy? Or is that going to be an irritation? Remind yourself to bring loving kindness, a sense of ease and compassion. So the reason we do that is if you remind yourself that it's coming, when it arrives, you're ready. You're much more ready to be open-hearted. If you forget about it and you hop on the phone with T-Mobile or something, or the internet company or struggling with something, intending ahead of time for that highest aspiration is hugely helpful. And I won't go into the science behind it, but there's plenty of studies that suggest intending how you're going to be before you enter a situation increases the likelihood you will show up that way. So it's really helpful. And with the Dharma, we're always about intention. So we set an intention in the morning as we go. The other thing I ask myself oftentimes is, is there anything I need today to make my day easier? Is there something I need, a sense of self-care, a sense of support, a sense of love or kindness, is there something that I'm going to need that's going to help me show up in the world the way I want to be? You know, maybe I wake up and I know I have something tough. It's like, okay, you know, maybe I need to sit down and have a chat with a friend or read something inspiring or ask for help. But you always want to remind yourself, you're the one that shows up to your life. Is there something you might need to make your day better? Maybe it's just a good cup of strong coffee or whatever it may be, right? Whatever it may be, is there something you might need? And the second paired question to that, is there someone in your life who might need an extra bit of attention? Is there someone in your life 
who might need a text that says, hey, I love you? Is there someone in your life that you might want to reach out to, call, drop a note, or just wish well, even if it's just in your own heart? And I do those two things. Do I need something today? Do I need to vent to my wife before I get on the phone? Do I need to call someone to get some support? And is there anyone in my life who might just need a little extra loving kindness? The amazing thing about asking if there's someone in your life that might need some loving kindness is oftentimes you don't think about it until you actively reflect. Oftentimes I'll think, oh, that's right. You know, my friend is doing that thing on Thursday. Oh, I'm going to just send him a text and wish him well. You know, so you before you ask yourself, your mind and heart might not be, it's just bogged down with duties and obligations. But then you ask yourself, oh, that's right. You know, so-and-so was sick the other day. I'm just going to send them a text and say, how you feeling? Like, how you doing? So these are the kind of things that can really help us show up in ways that are kind and compassionate. And as I said in the beginning of the talk today, the more you practice this, the more the heart and mind will take refuge in the habit, in the ritual that you create for yourself. Mindfulness in the morning, there's no better way to start your day. Give yourself, if you can give yourself 10 minutes before you get out of bed, it's the best thing you can do for yourself. Then the last thing I'll say just before we close today, when you come to the end of your day, Goenka Ji had also said, as you move into your evening, most of us move into our evening by collapsing <laughs> in front of the TV or with some intoxicant or, I mean, for me, it's like Netflix and a heavy carbed meal that usually has cheese. So like I fall into my evening in a way that's usually not the healthiest. Now, granted, there is meditation in the evening, which I feel like makes up for it. But oftentimes we, we sort of collapse into the night. We don't intentionally move into evening. So I would just invite you to consider this. Your evening is still sacred. It's the end of a precious day of your human experience. It is a part of your day, so to speak, that you can still have some control over. You can't do a lot to control the time when you're at work and when you're with friends and when you're out and about. It's hard to navigate. But evening, it can be helpful to create a routine where you might spend some time de-stimulated, not in front of the TV, maybe with a journal or a cup of tea or a book, something that's less stimulating, and just a few minutes to say, okay, I've lived this day. Here I am, mindful and present, still going, and just reflect what went well today. Could be a five, 10 minute reflection where you just take some time to yourself to say, the day is ending. What was it like? Think about something that good happened, something you did well or were successful at or something that surprised you. You can come up with a reflection, but if you do the reflection every evening before you wind down, you'll find that the heart and mind starts to desire it. It starts to take refuge in it. What I usually do when I can is sit with my journal, cup of tea, turn off the TV, and usually it's 10 minutes. Sometimes it's less than that where I just write out what were my favorite memories of the day? What went well? What did I like about the day? And then if you're up for it, the last question I ask, and I've mentioned this a bunch of times when we do reflections, is just, what would I have liked to have done better? What would I have liked to have done differently, if anything? Just by doing that increases the likelihood that next time, whatever that situation is, 
you'll have the resilience to make the change. The other day, I was like, I had a day where I was so irritable. I couldn't even believe how irritable I was. I was like way irritable. I was snapping. I mean, it was, I was alone for most of the day, but I was just really disgruntled. I couldn't figure out why. I just was having a bad day and I kept, I brought awareness to it and it was really uncomfortable. And I'll tell you how bad it was. I, I got irritable at a piece of pizza for not coming out of the oven the way I wanted it to come out of the oven. Like I was pulling a piece of pizza out of the oven and part of the pizza got stuck under like the grill and I kept trying to pull it out and it kept like all the cheese was falling off and I was like, I literally, I can't believe I'm gonna say it, I literally yelled at the pizza. I was so irritable because I couldn't get it to do what I wanted. And I caught myself and I was like, oh my God, Gregory, what? What is going on in this moment? You are you've lost the balance of your mind completely. So I stopped, I took a breath, and I realized, okay, just slow down, like deal with the pizza. So when I was journaling, <laughs> I had asked myself, what would I have liked to have done better? And I would have liked to have done better <laughs> was not get so agitated by the fact that the pizza was just stuck in the oven. Because what it was, it was like irritability had built up and I was real reactive at the time. And so I was just reflecting like, yeah, I got reactive today. Very interesting. I just wrote it out, got reactive, got reactive. Reflecting like that helps you decrease or increase a different change in behavior next time the things happen. So you don't go to war with your food or whatever you're gonna to go to war with. Reflect before you go to bed. And again, I really want to encourage or remind you two things. These reflections do not need to take a lot of time. We're really talking just a few minutes. The psychology of the ritual, the power of it is in the repetition. The power of it is that you do take the time to reflect before you leave the bed. You do take the time at the end of the evening just to take that beat, just to take everything down a notch, to celebrate another life lived, with the intention of how you want to live tomorrow. And if you do it without it feeling like a duty or obligation, you'll really start to feel a sense of pleasure and ease with this type of reflective exercise. So if you're averse to it, remember, it can be really quick. It doesn't have to be a long thing. Just the ritual practice of it, that in and of itself can be enlivening. One other thing I say before we close, when you wake up in the morning, remember this. You know how the Buddha talks about the four sacred postures, sitting, standing, lying down, and walking. Those are the four sacred postures. When you wake up in the morning, this is one of the few times during your day where all of those postures are going to happen in consecutive order. Because you start off lying down, then you move to sitting, then you move to standing, then you move to walking. So after you do those mindful reflections I suggested, as you start your day, be embodied with the movement of the body off the bed to standing, to sitting, to standing, and to walking. And that brings in mindfulness of body as you move into the next part of your morning. So it's a great opportunity to have the experience of the change in postures. And the Buddha talks about how helpful it is and how a powerful opportunity it is to watch the changes in the human form as you move from those postures. And this is the main time of our day, unless you take a nap during the day, I suppose. 
where you sleep under your desk at work, um, whatever you do, this is the best opportunity to experience that sacred motion that the Buddha talks about. Ritual practice, continuity of practice, as the as Goenkaji used to say. My wish for you, my friends, is that this year is a year where you have some sacred space in your life routinely where you can unwind and reflect and gain a sense of confidence and you can honor the self-care that's necessary to get you through the day. That's something that we can all use and it radiates out to all beings that we touch as we move into our lives. So I invite you to experiment with these kind of things, not only for your sake, but the sake of your friends and your family and your kiddos and all those folks who come in contact with so I hope that was helpful or interesting. Thanks for coming tonight, my friends. I really appreciate you coming back. I'm really excited by 2022. I'm going to be announcing some stuff in the next few weeks. Thank you so much for uh, hanging in here with me. I'm just so excited to do another year of this with you all. For those who have to go, thank you so much. If you can wait a few minutes, we'll do some meta. But if you have to leave, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing your hearts and minds with us this evening. Uh, for those who can stay, let's uh, fall back into a few minutes of loving kindness before we go. Let's return to the breathing body. How does this body feel in this moment? Notice the sense of sitting and open your heart to the mood of this moment. How are you feeling right here and right now? Take a long, slow, deep breath, and on the exhale, relax the body fully. Thank yourself for the practice of this evening, your commitment to your own awakening and the awakening of all beings, the ritual of Sangha. Let's hope that every person we come in contact to can share in the merits of this practice. We always remember, we practice for ourselves to know true love, true kindness, and true freedom in this life. But the highest view, the highest aspiration is for all beings to be free. With a sense of gratitude for this day of our lives. With awareness held gently and at ease close to our hearts. Let us wish that all beings be free from harm. That 
Let all beings be free from danger, worry, and concern. May all beings know the beauty of loving and being loved, caring and being cared for. May all beings be free from suffering. safe. Be well, my friends. See you next week. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com and click on donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.